right, let's do this. So let's get into some movies. Let's get into maybe some scary movies, right? Right. Sweet. Let's get into scary movies, folks. We can call this a scary movie block. And in three, two, one. American Werewolf in London. Okay. First time I've ever seen it. Boy, man, you're you're just getting your cherry pop left and right, aren't you? <laughs> Sorry. All right, John Landis. Yeah, the great, story, great comedy director. The story of of this is that John Landis wrote this when he was in in Eastern Europe working as a he was a PA on Kelly's Heroes. Yeah, working on Kelly's Heroes, and he he wrote it when he was he was like you know uh, eighteen or something, mm. and uh, it really shows. <laughs> the dialogue yeah. in this is awful. There are some of it's though very funny. There's a very there's oh, a lot of, of humor to this. Some of it's funny, but and you know the story is actually good. It's, yeah, there are great touches to it. Like uh, uh, Griffin mm-hmm. Dunn plays uh, the main character's best friend, and he yeah. gets killed early on. Yeah, because they're both in like the uh, like the rural England or something. Yeah, and they're out like they're out at a pub, but then they go leave. They go they and... go in the hub, and it instantly turns into a hammer horror film. Werewolf, werewolf, werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Griffin Dunn gets savagely attacked. And oh yeah, killed. but then he comes, you know, he, he, comes, he comes back, back. as a ghost. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I forget the other actor's name, but he is slowly. First, the thing is too, though, what's kind of cool about this movie, Landis has talked about that he got inspiration from uh, discreet charm of the bourgeoisie and Louis Buñuel movies really? because of the sequence where he has the dream within the dream. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, and it's. Uh, <laughs> Wa- that was great. Yeah, I wish they had put another. Where like that- the were was it like werewolf Nazis that come into the family's house and like kill everybody? Yeah, I was hoping they dragged that violent. out. I was hoping they dragged that out a little more. Like yeah. have one more dream within a dream. Yeah. <laughs> great, great Rick Baker effects. Yeah, I mean the effects are great. I mean the whole transformation and oh, you know, all so, the prosthetics and, so well. and the animatronics. Those are great. It's just that the dialogue is awful. Um, it's awful. Okay. All right. <laughs> you want to say that time? Um, as a side note, uh, Edgar Wright has said this is one of his like all-time big influences as a filmmaker. Okay, I could see it. Um, all right. All right. Ready? Yeah, I think so. Hold on, let me get my pen. All right. Jack oh. needs his pen to talk. I, I'm Go. Not, all right. Uh, Attack of the Puppet People. Uh. <laughs> All right, You've this, had this on your shelves for a very long time. I have. It, it kind of pops out, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I forget why I bought it, but it's a uh, a movie by this director, Bert I. Gordon. Um, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> he did Giant Heel Monster. and He made a lot of movies that involved size. Yeah. He has movies like uh, Empire of the Ants. The Amazing Colossal Man, Earth versus War of the, the Sp- Colossal Beast, Earth versus the Spider. Um, this guy had a thing about size in his well, movies. Well, his, his his initial spelled the word big. Bert I. Gordon. Oh, uh, I don't know if you heard it, folks. I just smacked myself. Uh, so this movie is about this doctor who um, basically has found a technology to shrink people, and it's weird because it's the same. The movie explains that it's the same kind of technology. That's used with a tuning fork, as if, oh, but you use it in reverse or something. I don't know how, but well, the sure. point is, is that the guy's a doll maker. That's his cover, but he and he makes dolls, and he has a shelf in his store where people can they can clearly see that these real life people that the scientist has captured and shrunken are there on display, and it's like, why would you do that? Yeah, why wouldn't you like? 
put that away somewhere where people can see it. You clearly is, made the cover that you're a doll maker. You don't want people <laughs> to know something. Yeah. Well, the point. Well, so anyway, he hires a secretary. She gets shrunken down. She joins like this. She's with this other group of people who have been shrunken down. A few of the people seem to not mind it. That's <laughs> a couple. Like he puts on some music and has them dance and sing for him. He's basically like a puppet master. But the thing that's fascinating is that he's not a mean guy. The actor plays him as this guy named Hoyt or something, and he's kind of a benign mad doctor. He just wants to have fun with his little puppet friends and put on puppet shows. And yeah, time. I didn't even say it was a good movie, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, Bird Eye Gordon. All right, ready and go. Uh, Peeping Tom. Okay, uh, so this is another movie. Michael on your... Powell. Yeah, Mr. Powell. The, the film that ruined Michael Powell's career. Yeah, and um, I see why. It's, it's a pretty dark movie. Yeah, but I think the thing that is most revolutionary about this film is how casually it deals with pornography. Mm. It's 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 right up there up front. The main character, his name is. I don't remember the pornography as much as the the killings. Well, it was early in the beginning. Uh, the main character is played by Carl Bohm, who has this accent that reminds me a lot of Peter Lorre. Oh, okay, and yeah. He, I guess I guess I can see that. And he's uh, and he he just uh, he seems very vulnerable at times, and he's he's a very quiet person. But he's he works on a film set. He, uh, as a cameraman. Yeah. But he also takes pictures of uh, of nude ladies. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. I forget and if there's, there's any nudity in the movie. No, there's none. No. Uh, but they there's a scene where he works in this news store, yeah. and a guy comes in to buy the photographs that he's taken. Yeah. And, you know, he does it very, you know, under the table. And then the, the, the storekeeper says, well... He's not going to be doing the crossword puzzle tonight. He <laughs> yeah. made a masturbation joke in a movie from nineteen <laughs> from nineteen sixty. Yeah, and this came out just a few months before Psycho, yeah. which changed everything. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so you could say that literally it was ahead of its time. Well, only by a few months. Yeah. But uh, I remember any masturbation jokes. In that Psycho. was no, definitely not. But yeah, the. I remember the the killing scenes in this. Like, doesn't he have like a giant like knife attached to his camera? Not a giant knife, but yeah, it's inside of his tripod. Yeah, and as he's going in for the close up, he stabs his victim. Uh, but but that's part of the reason I think why people were so shocked by this film. Yeah. You know, pornography. No one even mentioned it, but then it was right there up up front. It's you know, a shame because it's a see. great movie. Yeah, it is great. All right, time, Mr. Powell, a new celebrity. All right. All right, go. Um, Good Night, Mommy. This is a new movie that's out now in certain select theaters. German. Uh, very German. Uh, this concerns... It's a bit of like... I would sort of say the flavor of it. It has an original take on this story, but it's in the vein of Polanski and maybe a little bit of Michael Haneke. Um, I do, I do really like Roman Polanski. Well, this well, is maybe not the person, but no, well, his, well, his work is really the, the, well. The setup is very Polanski because a lot of his he has a good number of movies where it's just a few characters in a remote setting and a lot of psychological tension and uh, suspense. This involves two twin children who uh, live in this kind of rural house. I guess it's the summertime, and their mother comes home after getting plastic surgery, and it's, it feels like it's she's been away for a while. And the sons, she has on bandages over her face, but the sons suspect that this isn't her, their mother, <laughs> and uh, 
the whole kind of cool actually. The whole movie is sort of looking at okay, are what are the kids going to do about this? Is there not their mother, or is it their mother and the kids are crazy? And and yet there are certain twists that happen. Uh, I won't say what. There's one really big twist. Which you're not going to tell us. Which I'm not going to tell you. I almost shouldn't have said there is a twist because it kind of pissed me off. But um, there's just a lot of great weird... I would use weird with W capital W. One of the things, for example, the kids... uh, You know, certain kids, they have a hamster, they have a gerbil. These kids have pet cockroaches. They (laughs) have a cage where they keep all their cockroaches, giant ones. And at one point, to kind of like with the mother, they put a cockroach on her face and it goes into her mouth. Oh. Uh, yeah, very creepy. And then the whole third act is them kind of like torturing the mother. So there's some disturbing stuff, but it's interesting. Time. Yeah. You don't think that's a spoiler? Um, what, that they torture the mother? Yeah. No, not really. It's part of the, just a part of the story. I didn't say what happens at the end. You have to see the movie yourself, kids, to find right. out about that. The, this very disturbing, sick, twisted German movie, which uh, I did enjoy. So anyway, uh, all right. And do you have one more movie? One more. All right. Okay, go. All right, got to take a break from the horror. I watched Belle de Jour again. Okay. Uh, so what do you have to say about the, the this time? Okay. There's a thing going on with this film and cats. Okay. They bring up cats three times in this film. I don't know why. Here's okay. the second thing I noticed. The sound, every time someone takes off a jacket or folds a piece of cloth or opens a door, you hear that really clearly. So the Foley work, you mean? Yeah. And well, it makes it seem, and what this feels like to me is it makes it seem really intimate. It's like you're... you're I do remember you, you the feel, sound work is a little bit different. Like I remember, it's, it's very crisp, very distinct. And in the dream too, when they're in the opening, when they're taking off um, Deneuve's clothes, yeah, yeah, that has a little bit of that air of it too. But also just like the Christmas of those jingle bells and like the the, the horns on those uh, the the bells on the bulls, yeah, in those different fantasy sequences. Now I can give you one technical explanation for that, which is I think at that time uh, Buñuel was his own sound designer. Uh-huh. I think he was going a little bit deaf through like the his sixties and seventies. Okay, so maybe he needed so maybe, those sounds so to be distinctive. Maybe for himself. he did, but it, to, but to me it makes it feel very intimate, like you're actually in there. Uh, second thing, third thing I noticed, there is a continuity error where <laughs> Catherine Deneuve is wearing different lingerie. Fourth in, thing I in noticed in the same scene. Yes. Okay. Fourth thing I noticed, uh, there is a clock that chimes. At different parts of the of the movie, okay. and finally at the end, it chimes just for the last time at five o'clock. All right, which is significant in the movie because that's the time Severine can't be a prostitute anymore. Oh yeah, uh, I'm not sure what it means. I'm not sure if it holds all the way through, but I noticed a lot more in this viewing. Good. Um, final words. Uh, la, 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 la. Any di- feel any different? Still one of your favorite Boonwells? Still one of my favorite. Good. I mean, it's certainly more concrete. Certainly right. something you can identify with better. All right. Yeah. All right, yeah. Jack. Well, I was already kind of in the marathon, but I will continue it uh, all for you, uh, Andrew, uh, because I like you that much. Thanks, uh, Jack. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hold on. Let me just uh, make a note for myself. Okay. Um, all right. I'm ready when you are. Go. I'm going to continue with Catherine Deneuve. I watched uh, The Hunger. Hmm. Have you ever heard of this movie? I've it's, heard, it's only been a name to me. Tony Scott's 
first film as a director. Uh, this actually apparently comes from a famous book, which I didn't really know about. It's by this author named Whitney Stryber or something. I don't know if that would ring a bell. But nope. apparently, um, so what this book is, it's technically a vampire movie. Um, although maybe, I don't know if they are. They should be vampires because they drink blood. They're, they changed the mythology around, which I'm fine with. But Yeah, everybody does that. Well, I'll, I'll explain is what's good and bad about the movie. Because there is some good stuff. I mean, it's Catherine Deneuve and David Bowie. And they're, they're established as this kind of like cheek, uh, stylish vampire couple. And they go to clubs and they find people to come home. And they assume, oh, I get to f*** David Bowie or Catherine Deneuve. That's awesome. <laughs> and they get killed. Um, but what happens is David, totally worth it. But what uh. happens is David Bowie discovers that he's aging rapidly, and he doesn't know why. Um, Unlike the real David Bowie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, then Susan Sarandon comes in, and she's somebody who's doing experiments on apes who are aging really quickly, who have that disease progeria right. or something. Now, you would think that, okay, maybe they're going to bring Susan Sarandon into this, and she's going to try to find out a way to help David Bowie from stop aging. That's what I thought the plot was going to be. No. David Bowie disappears, basically, for more than half of this movie after aging, like, 200 years. Jeez. Which, you know, that would have been fine, but the movie does nothing to explain this. It does a lot of things where, all right, we're going to be moody and mysterious. And, you know, it's like, I know that having a lot of exposition in your movie is bad, but give me something. Give me some explanation. All right, yeah, Catherine Deneuve and Susan Sarandon having a sex scene, that's cool. But you need to give me a little bit more than that. You know, she's sexy, but come on, folks. Time. All right. Oh, that's, that that's actually sounds kind of weird. All right. Uh, it is, but uh, what All can right, we do? All right, let's go on to the next one. All right, go. Uh, the Card Player. Uh, we have uh, a film by Dario Argento, uh, which people probably haven't heard of. It kind of is one of those things that kind of came and went uh, about like 10 or so years ago. Uh, another Giallo. Uh, the twist this what time. What else would Dario Argento do this time? Yeah, it is kind of his shtick, isn't it? Well, this one, um, the, the the sort of uh, different little thing that you could give in a logline is that a serial killer is obsessed with online poker. And <laughs> he... Is, he is he just <laughs> writing these things like he's got a form? Serial killer, obsessed by blank. <laughs> Kills using blank. Fill in farm implement. <laughs> well, all right. I mean, I was kind of interested in that idea that, okay, you have you have to build up the suspense by the cops have to, you know, face off against the serial killer in poker. And uh, But there's a problem with that, which is, you know, with poker, part of the thrill of that is you have two people looking at each other playing cards. And that, they have to that's kind of what Casino Royale was all about. Yeah. But this, you know, they're doing it on a computer screen, so you're kind of just sitting there watching cards being flipped one by one, and that's not that cinematically engaging. Um, now, <laughs> no. I mean, there are still some. There are still. It, it picks up a little bit here and there. It's not. I wouldn't say it's a bad movie. Um, it, it's not the level of a movie he made a few years ago called Giallo, which I wonder what that's about. And that's by far his worst movie. That's the movie that I described. I tell people it's the movie with two Adrian Brodies. Yeah. And that's all I need to know about. This, at least, some of the actors are trying. There are some cliche things. Guess what, Andrew? There's a drunk Irish cop what? in the movie. And um, there's some good kills. Uh, there's some interesting things. But 
you know, it's it's still an online poker horror movie. Time. Yeah. That sounds. <laughs> that, that sounds. That sounds tedious. <laughs> All right. Next it, it's one. a mix of tedious and not. All right, go. Uh, Twixt. Uh, not Twix. Twixt. Yes, uh, I previous, heard you the first time. And previously, Coppola made us confused by a title called Tetro, which sounds like Tetris. You know, stop it with these movies that sound like other things. Um, like right. Gates of Heaven and Days of Heaven. There you go. And, uh, Heaven's, and Heaven's Gate. Gate. Yeah. Um, this movie has Val Kilmer as a an author, and um, he's he's like supposed to be a two bit would be Stephen King type of author, um, and he's going around <laughs> doing like a book tour for his book that nobody's reading, and he comes to a small town that Edgar Allan Poe used to frequent, or maybe he was from, and it's like he's staying at this hotel where like he keeps on having these odd dreams, and he meets Edgar Allan Poe. And um, in the dream, yeah, yeah, in the okay. dream, and uh, it involves either like, this... scenario would have been acceptable, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it kind of involves this like series of killings, and there's like this cult. Um, you know, it, it, this is Coppola <laughs> experimenting in this movie. He's what doing... year is this from? This is not that long ago, this is from uh, 2011. Wow. Yeah, it didn't really get much of a theatrical release because what Coppola tried to do, he had this whole experiment in mind where each time he would play the movie, he would be personally sort of giving the audience like the choice to almost do like a choose your own adventure type of thing with his movie. That sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, it was. and It didn't work. He eventually just released this movie as, you know, putting together everything. And the problem with that is the end movie has a cup, one too many endings. There's a place where this movie could have ended that would have been fantastic. And it actually gets really terrifying at one point, but then it kind of suddenly, Oh wait, there's another scene. Oh, this scene's really lame. Stop, stop. <laughs> okay. It's over. Um, it's okay, but it's not, not up to par with Coppola's best time. Yeah. Twixt. I just imagine M. Night Shyamalan saying that. Twixt. All right. All right, go. Frankenstein Unbound. Um, this is, to date, the last film directed by Roger Corman. Ah. Oh. He, uh, it, technically, if you go on 90B, it's called Roger Corman's Frankenstein Unbound. Um, oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> um, this is... Uh, Wait, this isn't the one with Aaron Eckhart, is it? No, no, no. I was I Frankenstein. Oh. <laughs> That's the movie where they tried to make the Frankenstein monster into a sex symbol. <laughs> well, some people. Uh, all right, but anyway. Not saying there's anything wrong with that. Right. Just saying. So John Hurt is this guy in the future who has created some kind of like device that can I forget what it does, but he, in a way, this movie is a little bit like a Doctor Who movie or something <laughs> because he's this doctor who. Using, like, and it's not a TARDIS, he, somehow he travels through time, through some kind of time slip in a, a cloud, and it sends him back to uh, the time period of uh, Lord Byron and Mary Shelley. So he's sort of witnessing, he's there when Mary Shelley hasn't, she's actually not even Mary Shelley, she hasn't had the affair with uh, uh, Pier, Pier, Shelley, oh, I forgot his name, I forgot, what's well, the point is, um... So, actually, Victor Frankenstein is a character, and he's uh, played by Raul Julia. Uh, he's created the monster already. And he's kind of, and So, in a way, when I say it's a Doctor Who episode, you know Doctor Who would go back in time? Uh, like, I saw an episode where he goes back to the Shakespearean era and right. interacts and with, he Shakespeare. with Shakespeare. Yeah, right. this is kind of like that. He, he has an encounter with 
you know, the author of Frankenstein and then tries to, and then the thing that happened in his book happens. Yeah. And he's trying to stop the Frankenstein. Yeah. That's that's exactly a doctor. So it's kind of John Hurt. It's actually entertaining. And John John Hurt was in the the doctor. Yeah, he was. Um, so it actually wasn't that bad. I mean, it is schlocky. When you think of certain things as Doctor Who episodes, they're actually a lot more palatable. <laughs> yeah, time. Time. <laughs> oh, I have more to say about that. Um, and just as a little tiny plug, if you want to read more about these movies, I have up on my blog at the Sanitarium uh, a lot of these reviews. Because I write a review every time I watch one of these movies. Yeah, Jack does uh, do reviews for all the movies he watches. So uh, yeah. and, so, and some of them are pretty good. Uh, oh, thank so you. some of them. Yes, thank you for the endorsement. Um, it's right. that, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, okay, it's okay. It's okay. It was just the way you said that. It was like, yeah, some of them are good. Some of them are crap. Nah, you know. <laughs> it's at sanitarium.blogspot.com. Right. Uh, it's also on Facebook. So you could, if you want to read more detail about it, I go more in depth about, say, the Frankenstein monster and uh, Corman and all that. All right. So anyway, let's Next continue. Next film, go. Um, this is a documentary. This is called um, Nightmares uh, in Red, White, and Blue. This I watched on Netflix. This is kind of charting the history of American horror films. Ah, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, is it only on Netflix? I'm sure it's on DVD um, somewhere. Good. That means um, I'll get to see it. Good. Um, now, I mean, I should mention that, I mean, technically you could say, like, they bring up uh, Psycho, which, you know, it's an Alfred Hitchcock movie, but you can consider uh, it American horror, I y- guess. Yeah, no, you're splitting um, hairs right there. Yeah, I mean, they do mention a couple movies here and there, which you could kind of say, like, wait, that's not really an American horror movie, is it? Like, but they mostly keep it centered on, you know, they start it kind of in, with Lon Chaney, and they end with our kind of recent spat of like horror remakes and horror reboots and stuff like that. Um, I like this. Mo- I mean, they play a lot of good clips. You know, obviously they chart through a lot of the tropes how- and they try, I think what I liked best was that they tried to correlate American horror cinema as relation relating to how the country was feeling at the time or how yeah. they were reacting. Uh, you could argue, uh, like they bring up 1950s uh, alien invasion movies. Yeah. And you could kind mm-hmm. of wonder, are those horror movies? And I guess, I mean, filmmakers come on the screen and they kind of give accounts of that movie scared me so much when I was a kid. I was running out of the theater when I saw them. Like, yeah, like Joe Dante. <laughs> yeah, he talks. About, he's he's interviewed. Um, really good interviews in this movie. I would recommend this if only to hear like some of these. Very insightful accounts. John Carpenter has interviewed uh, George Romero, uh, Larry Cohen All from right. It's Alive. I, I I forget if he mentioned It's Alive or not. Um, I would have liked a couple more people. Wes Craven's interviewed. The guy who's involved with Saw was interviewed, and is kind of like, eh, you know, like you get passionate defenses for things like Last House on the Left, Time. for example. So good with the bad. Um. All right, let's continue. Go. The Old Dark House. This is a really old one, isn't it? This, uh, we go back to the Universal Horror uh, Classic Era. This right. is 1932, directed by James Whale. With Charles Lawton. Charles Lawton, yeah. Charles Lawton. Gloria Stewart is in it. Um, I forget some of the other cast members, but, uh, you know, the premise is very simple. Boris Karloff has a small Oh, Boris Karloff. Yeah, yeah, he's a butler. Yeah. He's the butler named Morgan. And, uh... <laughs> You could almost say that he's kind of repeating his Frankenstein monster role. Except this is before, isn't it? No, no, it's... 
right after Frankenstein was 31. This oh, is 32. Okay. And in fact, the funny thing is, he didn't get credit originally to, as no. the monster. But at the st- well, I guess he got famous pretty quickly because at the start, oh yeah, Frankenstein blew up like, at the start a, of at the start of this movie. Icon. At the start of this movie, there's a title card which basically is saying, "Now you might not believe this, but this is the same Boris Karloff from <laughs> the, as the mechanical monster Frankenstein." Yeah, we just wanted to clear that up. Could you imagine them doing that today? Yeah, <laughs> with I know, somebody. Right? Now you might not believe this, but Johnny Depp is in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um. But, I mean, Boris Karloff, he got top billing in Bride of Frankenstein. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, but by right, then, just to show how much star. It, just to show then, how much his fortunes had risen. Oh, yeah. Because then by then, did The Mummy and all that. But anyway, um, very simple premise. People show up. It's a very stormy night. People show up at this house. There's creepy stuff. These, like, brother, old brother and sister keep making potatoes. Um, Have a potato. Yeah, that's the famous line from it. Um, but it turns out there are a lot of spooky things. Usually in a horror movie, it's about what, you know, don't go down to the basement here. It's don't go up to the attic because, uh, there's <laughs> stay in a kind of in between position. You'll yeah. Be okay. Yeah. Because there's a, um, there's a member of the family who you don't want to find out about lots of really great atmosphere. Uh, I like this more than the original Frankenstein time. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty, pretty uh, not great. as much as Brian Frankenstein. Okay. I should point out. All right, let's continue. Go. Um, Dark Skies. Uh, this is a newish uh, horror movie. Uh, one of these things that oh, kind crap. of crap. Why do up. I remember that title? But I can't remember what it is. You probably remember the trailer. Oh no! <laughs> the Nazis from the moon. No, no. that's Iron Skies. No. Sorry. <laughs> Get your skies straight, Andrew. Um, movie right. titles, man. All right. This is uh, <laughs> actually this is a, technically an alien invasion movie. This one oh, family is getting uh. They're getting, basically getting picked on by aliens. Weird. Oh, in, in their house? It's basically poltergeist with aliens. Oh, that okay. would have been the pitch, like, to the producer. Uh, you know, because, like, for example, the and, I, and I'm not kidding. The mother wakes up in the middle of the night, goes to the kitchen, and sees the aliens have stacked everything up. Oh, jeez. And she even she even asked the kid, like, her one of her kids, hmm. did you do this? And, of, <laughs> of course, course, humans, yeah. humans <laughs> would never stack books this way. <laughs> Good reference. All right. Um, good things about this movie. Um, J.K. Simmons pops up in a scene. Oh. He's there to basically do kind of an exposition dump, but because it's J.K. Simmons, it is compelling. All right. Uh, he basically explains he's, what's going on. He's one of those people like Peter Cullen who, when he when he talks, you, you, listen, you listen to him. You yeah. believe whatever he says. Yeah. But I wish that he was in the movie more, because if you almost take it Please, like Please, don't is, leave. Yeah, well, no, but, you know, like... This is, again, this is very much a poltergeist with aliens. But, you know, in Poltergeist, Zelda, Zelda Rubenstein shows up, gives the exposition, and is there. Oh, yeah, she does But J.K. Simmons just is there. He gives exposition, and then the family has to kind of fend for themselves. My time is um, up. I, hope th- I wish this movie was crazier. It's mostly kind of run-of-the-mill. In the trailer, if you watch it, there's a really awesome moment where Carrie Russell... She's like a real estate agent. She's showing these people's house. And she just goes to the window and starts banging her head against the window. <laughs> what? And that was great, but Time. not enough of that. All right, we only have a few more. So, is Iron Skies one of the next movies? I don't even know what that movie is. I've heard vaguely. Look. Is that like one of those Sky Captain in the World right, of Tomorrow movies? Let, we'll look at the trailer after the break. Uh, all right, good. All right, go. Lost Soul. The uh, Doom Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. I hope I got that full title right. 
All right. Have you ever seen the 96 uh, Island of Dr. Moreau? No. With Marlon Brando and uh, Val Kilmer? No. Okay. Well, this movie is I know of it. I know what you're talking about. I've seen it once years ago. It's not that good. Oh, yeah. But (laughs) this is another documentary, but this one is, um, you know, in the vein of Jodorowsky's Dune. It's Uh, not as great as that one, but it's still fascinating. And it's about a movie that actually got made. This one did get made, but not the version that Richard Stanley wanted to make. Richard Stanley was this British uh, uh, sci-fi director. He made a couple of low-budget movies in the early 90s. Uh, one was called Hardware. Another one was called Dust Devil. And he actually he he really came along a lot in pre-production. He presented this really different sort of take on Dr. Moreau, staying faithful to the Wells book, but also uh, having very weird creatures you know, you can go online, check out a lot of his concept art, and there's huh. a scene where Dr. Moreau, uh, who's supposed to be bearded and almost look like Jesus, ha- is, like, delivering a baby that's, like, a half-human, half-beast character, and all the nurses in the room are dogs, and uh, <laughs> lots of really awesome, terrifying images. But unfortunately, this is one of those productions that kind of went off the rails kind of quickly. Um, not, not all because of Stanley's fault. Like, there was a hurricane... Mom Brando's daughter died. Uh, the crew were kind of out to get him. He didn't really have much support. So he was fired after four days of filming. John Frankenheimer was brought in as director. And everybody hated each other. Brando <laughs> hated Kilmer. Kilmer hated Brando. The director hated his actors. Um, you know, of course, Mom Brando was a notorious psycho on set. Um, interestingly, Kilmer comes off more like an asshole. Um, lots of fascinating behind-the-scene movie stuff here. Time. Yeah. I love movies like that. This is a good one. Yeah. You don't even need to know much about Richard Stanley. So, All right. Because I don't. All right. I have two more left, and then we're done. We're we're in a big one this this week, folks. (laughs) The end is in sight. All right. right. Where does that go? Poultry Geist. Night of the Living Chicken. (laughs) I just watched this one today. Trauma film. Oh, God. Oh, it's so trauma. Um, I had a question, actually, when I was watching this. I kind of thought to myself, you know... <clears throat> there's often the kind of the thought that movies like Twilight or Transformers or something are maybe called critic proof in a yeah. way. You you know, audiences will show up to see those movies, you know, whether they're called good or bad. Yeah, their market is so is so well defined yeah. that there's no mm-hmm. way nobody the people aren't yeah. gonna see it. Watching this movie, I kinda of thought to myself, you know, this is kind of a critic proof movie. Like in this in you know, first of all, I mean the the audience for trauma movies are gonna see this whether i say it's good or bad well it's kind of like a tyler perry movie uh, tyler perry's got his audience and yeah you know, he does it doesn't yeah. matter what a critic I mean, says about I mean, we any should, of his i should films. note that troma's audience is nowhere near as big as uh, tyler perry's audience okay um but uh, yeah it's sort of a right similar principle but i was trying to figure out like can i criticize this movie and i think i i eventually found some things to criticize about it like genuine things well but, well like is it consistent well, I would say it's consistent, but a problem with that is that the movie never shifts in tone. It stays at 11 for, like, the whole thing. The movie starts off with, like, uh, you know, it, again, it's ripping off Poltergeist in a funny way because it's like they they build a fast food chicken franchise on top of an Indian barrel ground, and then all the chicken rises up from the dead to attack, uh, you know, people eat the chicken and they turn into undead chickens and uh, <laughs> attack everyone. And uh, there are giant penis monsters and uh, animal and things keep going up people's butts and out of their mouths. That's actually how the movie opens. Um, there's a giant <laughs> diarrhea joke. 
Um, at one point, a guy gets a broom stuck up his ass so far that it comes out of his dick. Um, and he has a giant, like, broom dick monster. Time. Ah, I just got started. Uh, all right, one last one. I think he said all you need And this to will say. continue. And this will actually set up our main segment later. But... Nice. All, all right. right. One, two, three, go. Nightmare on Elm Street, the original 1984 uh, movie. All right. Um, I now, would say that this. What, is there, did you get anything out of this this viewing that you hadn't gotten before? Well, I hadn't seen the movie in a number of years. I actually had forgotten certain things about it. Um, I forgot how prominently Johnny Depp is in the movie. Hmm. He's actually he's Leather Langenkamp's uh, uh, girlfriend boyfriend. Yeah, he doesn't die in the uh, first fifteen minutes. Not in the first fifteen minutes, no. I mean, he gets probably <laughs> arguably like the best death scene in the movie, hmm. uh, the most memorable one, uh, where he. Uh, it's not a spoiler because you know you've probably seen it before, where he gets sucked into the bed and all and blood just shoots out for like a full minute. Um, yeah, I think it's still a good movie. I actually think um, I like the. I just think the whole the the concept is you know we talked in a previous episode about Wes Craven was kind of like the king of concepts. Yeah. And this is kind of the mother of all concepts, you know, a killer that can kill you in your dreams. And if you stay awake, he won't come for you. But then at one point, do you suddenly realize, Oh no, I've fallen asleep. And yeah, uh, I mean, you think about it, it's kind of like invasion of the body snatchers where you have to resist sleep. That's another, like, oh yeah, they do have to resist sleep in there. Uh, that's that's right. terrifying. I mean, just yeah. thinking about that now, you know, gives me anxiety. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> this thing that I've been doing every night could possibly kill me. Yeah, I mean, uh, the other thing that's appealing in this movie, uh, I think Robert Eglund as Freddy really holds up. I think he is actually terrifying in this movie, as he's meant to be. Yeah, I don't think you could reproach his uh, his his performance. No, he's really strong. I mean, there are still some slasher movie tropes you have to deal with uh you know like lane camp's best friend is uh you know a teenager that has sex and all that stuff that isn't that's not the reason she's killed though i no. like that you know there are a lot of better reasons that she gets killed i, th- I thought that the there is some schlocky acting like from lane camp's mother time so yeah. all right that is the two minute movie mile yeah um and we had a nice big juicy fat horror movie segment there for you with a little bit of belle du jour um, which is not a very scary movie unless it's like, if, unless if you're frightened of call girls or something. It, it's like uh, having a steak and then just like one little California roll on the side. <laughs> okay. My oh man, yeah. Oh, I, I I get the image now. Okay. Or like yeah. Or like a, a steak with a little like uh, cupcake or something. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. So when we return, uh, we're going to talk about our list movies uh, of the past couple weeks. Uh, so stay tuned with that. 